Listening Dog Media. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The Hot Mess Mum. The mum most likely to send her kids to school in regular clothes on non-school uniform day. The mum who forgets to sign the permission slip for school trips. The mum who has probably put leftovers in her kids' lunchbox on more than one occasion. But most importantly, the Hot Mess Mum is actually rocking it and is doing a far better job than even she thinks. Please welcome. It is the Hot Mess Mums Club podcast. I'm Kelly Peck. And I'm Jenny as it is. And with us Kelly is a lovely lady. You used to live around me, actually. Julie Neville, obviously wife of Phil. But, you know, Phil's Phil. Phil's busy. He's, you know... He's football manager, football player, into Miami now. Well, he's not into Miami, but you're in Miami. <laughs> you're a lover of healthy living, healthy food, and of course, you're a lover of your lovely family. It's the lovely Julie Neville. Hi, thank you for having me. That's yeah. all right. It's a pleasure. And thanks for, uh, I know you're in the Sunshine State now. Yes. Beats Cheshire. We're delighted to be working with Cooker throughout this series. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be telling you all about their brilliant boiling water taps and the fantastic addition they are to any family home. I say it like that because I love it. Not only do they save time, Cooker taps are the most energy and water efficient appliance in the kitchen. A child safe double push and turn mechanism also helps to protect curious kids. And curious mothers are 89, by the way. <laughs> For more information, visit cooker.co.uk. Uh, cooker, spell Q-U-O-O-K-E-R, of course. The weather does change your life. You know, we lived in Spain for three years, and that was the first time I really realised, you know, just how life-changing it is, living in a climate. I mean, like here, it's like, I think on Christmas Day, it was like 82 degrees or something, you know. Our boys, uh, well, I've got one son and I have another boy that lives with us as well who's not mine but I think he's mine now um and they both played on Saturday morning at 10 a.m and it was 92 degrees wow you know so it's crazy but you know it's sunny every day and you know you know you do everything outside so I think that we were far less affected by the pandemic as well just for the simple reason that everything can be done outside so you eat outside all the activities are outside so that made it far easier I guess than you know wearing in, in England you know if you can't do anything indoors you can't do anything at all really so we're really lucky on that front but no life is great it has a huge effect I think doesn't it if you have a, a more outdoor life it has just such a big benefit on your mental health but when you've got kids as well I think it's that whole thing, isn't it, of getting them off their um, tech. Yeah. And, you know, we moved to the countryside in the uh, lockdown one and it was the best thing we ever did, you know. And again, I felt really lucky because we didn't feel that affected compared to some, yeah. you know, because we've got a lot of land and 
the kids just love being outside. So I think it it's just a healthier way of being. No, it is. I mean, I remember when we were looking for our house in Spain when we were moving there. And Phil, he, you know, he does this thing. He tells me on a Monday he's taking a job something like thousands of miles away. Then he goes on a Wednesday with his one bag. And then I have to kind of ship houses, cars, kids, you know, schools, hospitals, all that. So I remember when I'd gone to look at houses and Phil said to me, the only thing he was bothered about, uh, make sure there's televisions in every room. <laughs> anyway, I'm thinking, you know, we've got to be close to the training ground, got to be close to school, got to be close to the hospital for Isabella. And um, so we were viewing these houses, the kids and I, and, you know, they didn't have any televisions in them. So I was like saying to the realtor, um, the estate agent, um, you know, it, you know, do they not have televisions? And the points for the televisions were outside, like, you know, in the barbecue areas. Oh, okay. And they're like, no, you know, we do everything outside. We don't spend very much time indoors. Oh, and I was like, you know what, it's such a lovely way to be, you know, not that, you know, me or my kids watch a great deal of television, but Phil always has like this football on all the time, you know. Um, and I just think that it's very much like that here. You know, most days the boys come home from training. Generally, they bring half their team with them, lobby in the pool. Um, you know, every single morning, you know, I'll go for a walk down the beachfront. And, you know, I pinch myself. I'm walking along. It's like crystal blue oceans, the sunshine. And I just think, you know, I am so, so lucky to get to do this and to get to experience this. Um, you know, so it is, it is great. And I do love that my kids as well get to experienced so many different cultures and um you know different types of lifestyles I love that as well yeah and they're used to it it means they're you know for their futures as well they haven't got that sort of that mindset of oh no you know I love it here I've always been here I was born here I'm going to stay here I went to school here you know hopefully you know you've opened up their minds to the fact that you know they can just move around whenever it suits yeah well I mean yeah, there is that. I mean, I have to say that poor Isabella, when she found out we were leaving Spain, it was very quick because Harvey decided to sign for Manchester United at the time. And so I'd taken him over to have a quick look round, and then they sort of said, that's great, but if he wants to sign, he has to be here in 10 days. And I was like, oh my God, Phil had gone to Russia for six weeks. We'd just signed a new lease on a house in Spain. We thought we were staying for two more years. Harvey had this contract in Valencia. So we had 10 days then to move our lives again back to the UK. So Phil said goodbye to me in Spain, went away for seven weeks. And the next time he saw me, I'd moved countries again. And I was kind of driving on the way back whilst we were in Spain from one of Harvey's games. And he was on the team bus and Isabella and I were like kind of chatting. And then she just kind of dropped it into the conversation sort of along the lines of, do you know what, Mummy? I'm really glad that Harvey's following his dreams now and he always wanted to play for Manchester United. And I'm really glad that Daddy loves his job and everything. But... I don't want to go back. I want to stay here. And she burst into tears. And I kind of felt like this worst mother in the world because I was like on overdrive. You know, I suddenly found out that I had to move back to the UK. Phil was away. And I just not totally forgot her in the middle of it all, but she doesn't really have a choice. So, you know, and I just, I can remember getting home and ringing my mum saying, you know, I'm just like the worst mother in the world. This poor child's going into like, it was then her fifth school. She's now in her sixth school. She's happy where she is. She loves her friends here. She loves her school here. And she's just got no say in the matter. And, you know, it is, it is what it is. I mean, that said, you know, she absolutely loves it here. Yeah. And she did settle as soon as we went back to England. But it's just in that moment, you kind of think, she would have liked to have stayed in Spain and she's still really best friends with all her friends there. But, you know, there is the other side of it. My kids are very sociable. You know, they make friends very easily and 
you know, they embrace new experiences, and new cultures now just because they have to. And I think that's a positive to take from it. Absolutely. And for her, you know, with her condition, and um, again, that's another thing that, you know, Sarah yeah. Wilsey, you, you know, she probably, I suppose, she feels settled with the hospital and familiar with yeah. staff, etc. So that, again, you know, it's another dynamic that you have to, you know, you have to bear in mind, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she actually says, you know, when she's particularly coming here, and particularly, I think, if she's got older, she's more conscious of it now. She's a teenage girl and, mm. you know, teenagers ask lots of questions. And she said that, you know, I just want to get the first month of school out of the way because then everybody's asked me everything they want to yes. ask. So, you know, they've got over the staring bit and what's wrong with her. And, and she doesn't talk about her disability, Isabella. She acts like there's nothing wrong and... You know, she just gets on with it, and which which is great. You know, she shows incredible courage and determination and resilience. Um, but she always says that, you know, that first meeting people and they want to ask me what's wrong and then they're hinting at it and they don't know what to say. And then there's a few things that are, you know, inappropriate things that are said that are hurtful, that are not meant to be hurtful. And, you know, but she handles it great. <laughs> she said she came home from school about a couple of months ago now. So she'd been at school quite a long time. And she said, you know what? Somebody asked me a really stupid question today. And so I gave him a stupid answer. So I said, well, you know, like what? And she said, oh, you know, this, this boy was walking down the corridor and he, he just sort of piped up, oh, you know, what happened to your legs? And she said, so I said to him, oh, did you not hear? I thought everyone in the school knew, but I was trick-or-treating last year on Halloween and I got struck by lightning. Can you believe it? Looking like this. And I was like, oh, Isabella, I'm sure you shouldn't be saying things like that. So if you did tell him it was a joke, didn't you? And she went, no, I didn't. She said, now he thinks I'm struck by lightning. And I was like, darling, I'm not really sure that's the right thing to do. But, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe next time you see him, just say I was joking, you know. But, you know, she, she handles it in her own way. And she's naturally very funny. So she would, any uncomfortable situation, she would make light of and joke about, which, you know, is her own way of dealing with it, I guess. It's hard, isn't it? Because I think, you know, um, without that, that put aside, um, kids are cruel anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I, my daughter's nearly nine and she's starting to, there's things happening at school and things that are said and she comes home in tears sometimes and she hasn't got a disability. Yeah. That's just the normal, you know, the first thing that you go through. So it's so hard as a mum because I've been thinking about this a lot lately because there's been a few situations and you really just want to wrap them up yeah. don't you but like what you say with the way that she finds her own yeah. way of dealing with it this humour that yeah. she goes to it's credit to how you're bringing her up but also credit to her and her personality yeah. you know we said to me don't step on Ava's toes and interfere yeah. just encourage her to keep being who she is yeah. and be fearless so they made fun of her jacket the other day and she came home really upset. But then she went back to school with the same jacket the next day. Yeah. And Chris said that because she she will not just be a sheep. She's going to be her. Yeah. And we're letting her, giving her that confidence to do that. And I think, you know, it's the same, obviously, with what, you know, with your daughter. She's She's got her own voice. Yeah. She's finding her own handling it, which is incredible. Yeah, that would have come from you yeah. as well, Julie. You know, yeah. you've let, made yeah. her feel like that, that she can. Well, you know, I hope so. But she's always, from a very young age, had this incredible personality. You know, she's always been, you know, the she's got a really dry sense of humour. And like I said, she doesn't talk about her disability at all. But if she had to, she would make it in a very humorous way to kind of brush over it, really. She's just recently taken her driving test. And 
we got told she had to be assessed for an adapted car, basically, because she's got, you know, her legs are severely affected and her left arm's quite um, affected. And so I said to her, you know, we have to go for an assessment. And she just said, what, for what? And I was like, well, you know, just to see if you need any adaptation in your car. And she said, I'm not having an adapted car. I was like, well, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, if you have to have an adapted car to give you independence, it's a small sacrifice, I said, as opposed to not being able to drive. And she said, well, who said I won't be able to drive? Well, you know, we're just saying that maybe it's worth going because you don't want to be struggling or you don't want to fail your test just because something simple could be adapted on the car. And so she just said, no, I just want to take normal lessons. Phil and I had this conversation. We said, right, we'll pay for 20 lessons. And if at the 20 lessons, the instructor says, you know, she's struggling, then we'll say to her, look, you know, we've Hide it your way. Maybe we do need to have adaptations or whatever. And, you know, let's just go and have a look. So we paid for the 20 lessons. Um, I was pitching base with the instructor. And at the start, they were saying, well, she's struggling turning the wheel one way, but we're going to work on it. And end of the 20 lessons, she took a test and she passed. Wow. There you go. And she's got a normal car. She never mentioned it. We never mentioned it. Um, but she's just so determined. I love that. To just be the same as everybody else. And you know, sometimes it's a detriment to her that she won't accept help. The school will ring me and say, she just won't accept. She's entitled to extra time. She won't take it. She's just so determined to just be what she classes as normal mm-hmm. and the same as her peers. You know, which is just her own resilience and this she's got this real gritty attitude you know every single day Phil and I just go how lucky are we the dynamic of the whole family changes when you have a child that's got a disability and she makes that easy for us just with the way she deals with it so we feel really blessed and what about and so Harvey as well so Harvey's older yes and I felt that he after she was born he kind of missed so much for I would say three years because she was so so sick and, you know, him and I would have to move into hospital continually because Phil would be away and he was only one when she was born. And every time she got rushed back in, we'd end up with a family room and Harvey and I would move in. And then we would be at hospitals maybe four days a week on a normal week for hours and hours a time. And so he spent those three years basically just with me and her in the hospital. And, then, you know, when we weren't at the hospital, I'd try to do play dates and, you know, play areas and all of the usual things. But, you know, there was a lot that he didn't get to do. And, you know, Isabella, if she was scared to do something, whether that's going an MRI scanner or getting a leg plaster cast or whatever, Harvey'd have to do it first. And if he'd do it, she'd do it. But now I look and think that this bond that they have is just incredible. They are so close. They do everything together, which I'm guessing is pretty unusual, you know, for a teenage boy and then a younger sister. Yeah. He's so patient with her, you know, and... If, like, she's in bed and she's got splints on or whatever, she can't, she can't walk with them on. She doesn't say, oh, Harvey, I need a drink. And he runs up and he goes and gets a drink. And then she goes, oh, Harvey, go and get me a chocolate. And he runs up and he goes and gets her a chocolate. And, and he'll literally do anything for her. And he's so protective of her. So I think I felt like he lost so much at the start of his life. But now he's a really kind, sensitive boy as well. And if there's anybody in his team or at school that is kind of probably, you know, somebody that needs a bit of extra support, he'd be the one that would be... He'll be the one to... Yeah, that would say, oh, can I bring this boy around because he doesn't know anybody? Or, you know, Harvey's come out of school some days and said, oh, you know, um, I'll say, where's your lunch bag? And he'll get, oh, I gave it to so-and-so because they don't have a lunch bag. And I'm like, well, that's fantastic, Harvey. It's seven o'clock on a Tuesday night. No, you don't have a lunch bag, you know. But he's just that kind of personality. And I think that comes from always being involved in Isabella and caring for Isabella as much as that, you know, 
at times, you know, you get that guilty complex. I mean, you saw her stop breathing and, and all of that and then the whole panic around that. And then as we were dealing with her, we forget that he's sitting in the corner watching it all with his head in his hands, you know, and there's these moments that you think, if I could take that away that he's fight, I would. But now he's just this incredible, you know, really sensitive, kind young man now. And they are so, so close. Literally, they do everything together. If I'm looking for Isabella at night, she'll be in his bed watching a movie. Just for anyone who will be listening to this, because we, we haven't mentioned, but Isabella has cerebral palsy, doesn't she? Yes, that's right. Yes. Did you guys have, when she was young and, and you were sort of going through it, that initial kind of when it's diagnosed and you know did you have a lot of help with sort of charities and organizations because there are different ones out there aren't they I was a patron for Heal and Toe in the northeast for years when I was up there on the radio and they do amazing work so but I know how you know you were talking about the hours that you would spend in the hospital and therapy sessions and so did you and Phil go through all of that with Isabella? When we received the diagnosis, she was 18 months old. I mean, I'd known for, I didn't know cerebral palsy, but I knew for a long time there was something wrong with her. Nobody else believed me. I knew it's that mother's instinct, isn't it? And when she was diagnosed, she was 18 months. And at that point, you get this whole team. So that's pediatricians, it's neurologists, it's occupational therapists, it's speech therapists, it's physiotherapists. It's literally, you get this whole team and they all work with her on a weekly basis. And then once a month, they have a a meeting. They do then offer you all the emotional support. So to go to cerebral palsy groups and family support groups, and then just so that she can meet other children that are like her. Because bearing in mind, she was 18 months old. So mentally, she was an 18-month-old child, but she was flat on her back. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't play with the toys that 18-month-old children play with. She just wasn't physically able. So she was frustrated. And I remember going to one and, and I never went back because I found it really difficult. I didn't tell anybody for a long time, apart from my family, immediate family, that Isabella had been diagnosed for the simple reason that I couldn't speak openly about it without getting upset. Phil just acted like nothing happened and that there was nothing wrong with her and he didn't talk about it at all. So I just wanted to kind of function, deal with it, get into this system, get her the treatment that she needed and not break down. I, my big fear was that I would walk down the street and somebody that I didn't know would come up and say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about your daughter. And then I'd be crying uncontrollably on a stranger. So I went to this one group and I just found it really difficult because I found that everybody is traumatized. One, I didn't want to talk about my sad story and I couldn't deal with listening to everybody else's, if that makes sense. I decided to just kind of not do any of that and just do things like we'd go to the park and feed the animals. We'd, you know, I just did things like I would do with my son when he was first born. And, you know, yes, every activity was much more difficult with Isabella. You know, I, I made sure that she still got to experience all those things. And then, you know, I think probably later, years later, she progressed quite a lot. Looking back, I think maybe I took something away from her, the fact that I find it difficult to go to those support groups because she wasn't really in contact with other children like her, as she says. You know, and I, I think that like if ever we were anywhere and she saw another child in a walking frame, she would gravitate towards them because she saw somebody that was suddenly like her. And it was only when she was much older, you know, she was still on a walking frame, maybe 10, 11 years old. And I you know, kind of I noticed her doing this more. But I said to Philip, you know, maybe we should have persevered and got over our own struggles to let her just feel like she was the same as everybody else in that group. But for me, I just I just couldn't do it at that time. You know, I just found it so incredibly difficult. And that's not to say we've not done lots of charity work since. And, and you know, she's been involved with that. And 
you know, we took her to cerebral palsy football groups and she got asked to do um, Paralympic swimming. And, you know, we've done all that kind of thing at a later date. But in terms of the support groups, they are there and they are fantastic. And we've supported a lot of them over the years. But for me at the time, I just could not sit and share my story. I didn't even tell my friends for a long time. I just find it too difficult to do. Not everyone's the same and everybody deals with things differently. The only thing is, you know, like you said earlier, as a parent, you're constantly guilty. And there, you know, already you're saying you've done an amazing and incredible job, but still, you know, you're saying that you feel guilty. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's so it's so hard, you know, for you to, you know, to put into place the fact that it wasn't for you, you know, and... You know, it, it might yeah. have been that if you had gone to those groups and you had spoken out and told more people, like you say, you might have been breaking down that 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 breaking down that much that you know you might have affected as well in that way, which you wouldn't have liked. Yeah. So it's very difficult. But I think either way, you've done an, an incredible job, and you know, it's you know your children a credit to you just how you say you know how they are together and and what what how what they've become it's it's amazing so you know and those early days must have been so you know when I think about it, if there was a year's difference really wasn't it that you know Harvey was just one yeah for you yeah, yeah. psychologically and physically it must have taken its toll because you know that's huge to have such young children and then to have the diagnosis um and then obviously feels away a lot yeah like a lot yeah, it's a lot yeah. and it must have affected you. Yeah. The Hot Mess Mums, Kelly Pegg with Jenny Powell. All through this series, we're working with Cooker to tell you all about their amazing products. Cooker Taps can transform any family home. Here's Emily to tell you all about them. I've used a Cooker Tap for as long as I can remember. In fact, I don't actually remember using a kettle. Definitely the best gadget in my kitchen. Um, first of all, it's the easiest gadget to use. Um, it's the most reliable gadget. I've had mine for more years than I can remember. It's never broken once. I've recommended Kuka to more people than I can remember. Um, and I recommended it to one of my friends two years ago and she agrees it's the best gadget she's got in her kitchen. Um, I think also for new mums, if I'd have had when my kids were babies, the opportunity to have one, um, it's so good for sterilising because literally you can sterilise your bottles. That boiling water, you've just got instant access to, to having stuff sterilised for babies. So it's like, it is perfect. For more information, visit cooker.co.uk, spelt Q-U-O-O-K-E-R. Our hot mess mums, telling it like it is, Kelly Pegg with Jenny Powell. I'm used to doing everything on my own because he's always been away. In fact, this year, because in Miami, in the MLS, which is the, the football league here, like the Premier League here, their um, break is at Christmas instead of summer. So they, they play throughout the summer, but their break is at Christmas. So this is the first Christmas that Phil's been here for Christmas and New Year. It's our anniversary as well. And we were like, he was like, do you want to go out for our anniversary? And I was like, oh my God, we've been married all these years. We've never gone out for our anniversary because you're never here. <laughs> you know? And we were like, what should we do? You know, we've got, we're going to be together Christmas, anniversary, New Year. What did you do? What did you do then? Don't tell me you stayed in and cooked. You know, it's crazy, the world we live in now. Um, so we booked, all my family were coming for Christmas. That got cancelled with eight hours notice because of COVID. And then we booked to take the children to New York for from the 27th through New Year. And then that all got cancelled for COVID because that went crazy. Literally, 
four or five days before we went, it was going crazy in New York. They were shut, we'd book Broadway shows, they closed down Broadway again. And we were like, look, you know, Phil was going into pre-season and Harvey as well, the first week of January. And he was like, Julie, I cannot afford to get COVID at this point. I need to be, you know, in training next week. So we were like, let's just cancel it. So as it happens on our anniversary and New Year's, our anniversary is 30th of December. So kind of for New Year's Eve and our anniversary, we, we chartered a yacht and we just went out into the ocean, just the family. Oh. And it actually was really, really nice. See, if you were in Cheshire, you'd been on the Manchester ship canal, Julie. You've done well. You've done well. <laughs> on the canal boats. <laughs> We'd have done laps around Hailcroft Park with Phil avoiding all the dogs because he's scared of dogs. But <laughs> It's more than 23 years you guys have been married. And I read yes. a really lovely interview that you and it really I really liked it because they'd asked you about the pandemic and you said you loved having him at home and spending that quality time with him and cooking for him and he was having to run like miles because he was eating all your food all the time I just thought that was so lovely though all those years of marriage in the spotlight it's it, it you know no one can imagine what it's like unless you're in it to be married to a footballer whilst you're trying to a success very successful footballer whilst you're trying to build your own identity and business as well being such an amazing cook as you are I suppose you were full on like three was it three meals a day like three perfect beautiful meals a day when everybody was at home together wow there's nothing on you Julie as well you look amazing no well I would cook I cook a three-course evening meal every night and a three-course breakfast every morning because it's real food I suppose I run around literally all day long as long as you eat the majority healthy you can have what you want is what I think no I do do really really love cooking I mean in lockdown it was this it started off um just of me kind of creating all these different meals because obviously it's a fact that the majority of families eat the same five or six meals in a week, every week, Yeah, you know, which we do as well sometimes, you know, because, you know, everyone's got their favourite thing. And if you know that when it's quick, everybody's going to eat it, it's easy. Um, but I was kind of thinking, look, everyone's eating every meal at home now, so I need to kind of up my game a bit. So I started kind of creating all these new meals and then it became a thing where my, we'd set up these family chats. So we had one with my side of the family and then we had like the family Neville chat as well, of all Phil's side of the family. So the kids started putting on pictures of all the food that I was making. And so then everyone started saying, um, oh, can you send me the recipe of what she's making? And then it got to every night, Phil's mum started it off by saying, do you think Julie could write a menu for us every night of what she's doing the next day? And it'll give us all inspiration to cook. So then every night I'm writing a menu, you know, like as if it's some kind of restaurant that we're living in. And... Um, and then it kind of went on and friends started saying, can you send me recipes? Oh, I can't make that. Can you send me a video tutorial? And then that's how it started. So it's Home Cooking with Julie Neville, the website, and the recipes look incredible on there. Oh, they really you. do. I read that you'd been, you'd worked in 25 different mm. restaurants. That was only in Spain just because um, right. I got signed to write a book just on authentic Spanish cooking. So I just contacted loads of restaurants and said, look, you know, because the Spanish food that we eat as English people is the British version of Spanish food. Tapas. Everyone just says tapas and thinks it's Spanish. <laughs> yeah. and, and throw a bit of rice in a pan and you've got paella. So I thought if I'm going to write this book, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be what the Spanish truly eats. So I just contacted loads of restaurants and said, look, can I come and work for free? And it showed me that, particularly somewhere in a hot country, 
that being a chef really is a labor of love because sometimes you're in this kitchen, sometimes really small kitchens, for like 13, 14 hours. And sometimes it's like 40 degree heat. I would be cooking in a restaurant, which is the size of a house and it's the grandmother's house. And she's cooking with us and it's her recipes that she's been cooking for 60 years. And like the locals are queuing down the street, you know, it's, it was crazy. And then obviously I did like the Michelin star as well. And then I worked in the restaurant of the winner of like MasterChef in Spain. Um, so they were like, obviously more show busy, more glossy side of, of, of it. But I got to do the, like the little backstreet cafes and the restaurants with the mountains. So it was fantastic. It was a really good experience. Because just the way you're talking about it, it's a real passion. I can see just from the smile on your face and the way you were enthusing about it. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, I fancy doing a book. It sounds cool. They made, you know, they gave me a budget. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just pretend I'm, a, you know, I love cooking. It really yeah. looks like you were, you were born to do it. Yeah, I would love to say that, like, I spent years cooking with my grandmother and my mother, um, but I didn't because neither of them cooked particularly. If it didn't come in a packet from Marks and Spencer's, my mother's going to kill me if she listens to this. <laughs> but if it didn't come in a packet from Marks and Spencer's, we probably didn't get fed it in our house. But from a very, very young age, I remember baking and cooking on my own. You know, I did home economics at school, but I used to like cook quite elaborate breakfasts on a Sunday morning for my parents. I'd like, I remember my parents were really big party people my whole life. And I remember like going up on up on a Sunday morning, probably like eight o'clock because I'm quite an early riser with like these big trays of food, full cooked breakfast. And my parents would be really hungover, you know, and I bet they're thinking, oh my God, go away. The last thing my dad wants is a plate of bacon and eggs and pancakes. And, you know, and I would be doing all that from being like 13 years old. And then I started cooking for all their dinner parties and really, really enjoyed that. I kind of always, as a teenager, really wanted to go into catering, cooking, something like that. But my father had a family business and my sister wasn't interested in going into it. And he was really keen for me to go into it. And so that's what I did. I'm really keen to please people all the time. And, you know, it wouldn't have sat right with me to go and do something else if I felt that he really wanted me to do that. And I don't regret doing it at all. You know, I was really blessed to go and work with my dad every day and we're a really close family. But I always wanted to do something with cooking. And then, you know, at my dad's company until two weeks before Harvey was born and then Isabella came quite quickly after that and then she was so sick for so long that it just never, nothing ever came of it. And this is just a really small project that I do now. I love doing it. You know, we film for the YouTube channel. I really love that everywhere I've gone has influenced new recipes. And, you know, so in Miami now, it's the kind of things I cook are totally different now and, and I'm experimenting with different things. It is just a small project, but I really enjoy doing it and the family enjoy it because they get to eat it all. So it's win-win, I guess. Would you like to have perhaps your own restaurant one day or something like that? Yeah. Would that be like a bit of a dream for you? Or do you think, I oh, know I'm happy just with what I'm doing? Um, I wouldn't want a restaurant at all, really. I think I think working in the mall, I just realised that I think it's, I think the thing that puts me off is that a restaurant is like 24-7, like literally. And, you know, if anything I do, anything I agree to do, if it doesn't fit in around school drop-off, school pick-up, the boys' football games, as well as after-school activities, then it doesn't get done. So Philly's always away or always at work or, you know, I never know if he's around. So I have to be here and available all the time for the kids. And so I wouldn't be able to commit to that, but I kind of have this little dream at some point, maybe like a patisserie or something like that. I love baking, um, hence why, Jenny, you've probably heard that um, Phil says he trains to eat my food, which is probably a compliment, I guess, but... Um, 
but yeah so I love baking so I think if I was going to do something it would be something like that as opposed to a restaurant I think I think it's a lovely sort of attitude you have as well because you know it's all about balance isn't it and you're not you know you, you I can tell it's just come naturally to you you realize you know and you've got a lot on your plate a lot on your plate plus the fact you know your husband's not there that much god bless him you know and you know you have you've got a disabled daughter you know you've got your somebody else's um young young one who's living at the house at the moment and you know it could be that you'd say, oh, gosh, you know, I could just about cope with this. But, you know, you, you, you've got a balance where you're happy, you know, and you've found yeah. your passion. And it's a great lesson to be learned because it is possible. It's just the attitude, you know, the way yeah. that you approach it um, uh, uh, that matters. Because because you're happy and because you've got your own passion, it means that, you know, all the other things that are going on in your life and in other people's lives is going to be OK. Yeah. I mean, like... My sister is, I'm really close to my sister as well, and she's got two daughters, similar ages to my children. And she is a better mum for going out and having her time and working and doing her own thing. And then when she comes home, she's a much better mum. And that works for them. But I'm the total opposite that I always, I don't know if it's worse because of what happened with Isabella. And then I felt, you know, one, I wouldn't trust anybody else to have to deal with her. And two, it wasn't because it was very, she was very difficult to, to deal with with everything that was going on that it wasn't fair to expect somebody else to do that. But, you know, I am this obsessive, over-possessive mother that does everything for my kids. And, like, I think it's quite famous that my husband actually can't do a great deal for himself. Oh, yeah, he can't um, make you a cup of coffee. No, we can't. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, so mine's the same. Yeah. He's, mine's awful. He can't even make himself a sandwich. It drives me. But I'm not like you. You're so lovely about it, whereas I just go around hating on Chris most days <laughs> because of his I did an interview the other day and they said to me, you know, what's the best thing Phil's ever made you? And, and you're I, like, and what? They, well, I, I stopped for a minute and they went, oh, don't worry if you need to take a minute. I was like, no, I don't need a minute. It's easy. Nothing. He's never made me anything in my life. He's never made me a drink. <laughs> and they were like, never made you a drink? I was like, no. Um, but, you know, I kind of think that because I do all this now, like my mother's always on at me, your kids are going to be the same as Phil because nobody does anything. You know, my kids have never made a piece of toast. They don't even move a plate from the table. I was like, no, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. But I just love doing that, you know. So I kind of not saying that my way is right or somebody else is wrong, but I just love being a mum. I just, I think that, you know, we've got our kids for such a limited amount of time. And when my kids are ready to, you know, spread their wings and go, you know, I'll support that and I love that for them, you know. But whilst they're here, I want them to know that I can do everything for them and I am there for them. And, um, and we're really, really close. So my kids confide in me a lot, you know, and as I do with my mother. And I love that relationship that we've got. Um, and I think as well, because I, Phil is always away and they never know, you know, like when we were in Spain, he lived away for a year. You know, we did another year in Spain that he then was back in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's been long periods of times that we've been apart. So I think that whilst they never know if he's here or he's not. So like even this morning, my son got up and, and he was like oh you know is daddy at home today or is he you know he didn't even know where he was because he goes to work so early I wanted my children to know that you're you the know, constant I'm always there yeah. you're the constant yeah. absolutely Literally, I'm always yeah. there so that they have this security and stability because I think you know my husband doesn't have the luxury of just being around all the time you know and he, he you know don't get me wrong he loves his work and would quite openly say he loves me a lot but I'm a very close second to football but <laughs> um, you know, um, so I did want my children. You are, to know that 
I think you are. You know, the saying of behind every great man, there's an even greater yeah. woman. I think you are the absolute example of I that. I think you've from, got the T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you are that woman, you know. But no, I mean, think so. with, with Philip, I think that um, the way I look at it is that if, you know, I can do everything for him so that he... I want him to feel free, first of all, to take any job anywhere he wants and know that I will sort everything out and make it work, you know, for everything else behind the scenes. And I also want him to know that, you know, he doesn't need to worry about, you know, the house, the kids, the bills being paid, anything else. He literally can concentrate on his job. And I think that that enables him to be more successful and happier and that benefits all of us. So I kind of think he's never come home from training and me expected him to look after the kids or... He's never been, I, I don't expect him to do anything any day with us. If he comes, it's a bonus. If he turns up, great. And if he doesn't, I understand. And I think that that dynamic works for us because yeah, he does yeah. have a really high pressure job, you know, he goes to work at five in the morning and, you know, this job he's taken here, you know, it's quite complex. You know, they, it was a new franchise and there was a lot needing to be built within the club and they've still not quite got the team right. And so results aren't good. And so he literally works seven days a week. And so if he turns up at something for me, that's great. And the kids love it. And if he doesn't, then we just get on with it, you know, um, and that works. For us. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it, it, again, it's a, a great balance you have because he, he in the same breath, he, he champions women, doesn't he? I mean, first of all, yes, the lionesses, but, yeah. you know, there's the subconscious, isn't there, where you know, and I think we all yeah. realise that he does champion women. It's not like he's some yeah. chauvinistic sort of like, you know, well, no, you should be doing not. that, you know. No, really. uh, it, and credit to him as well um, in that in that respect because he's let you in so many ways because some, I, I presume some um, men would would almost um, find it, um, you know, a bit of a threat, you know, well, you know, you're doing everything, you know, you're controlling everything or thinking yeah. that, you know, and it might become a bit competitive, but it's not at all. It's the balance no. again. The way I look at it is that we've both got, you know, our roles within the relationship, within the family and to make it all work. Yeah. Um, but Phil is like, you know, he does not expect me to do anything. He, you know, it wouldn't be. He knows I want to do it and I'm happy to do it. But like I said, he is a huge champion of, of, you know, he really, really does promote equality for women. And particularly when he took the job of the lionesses and he realised what an uphill struggle it was going to be at the start of it, you know, he worked tirelessly, you know, want to create equality within the footballing world. But not just that, he went so much further than that. You know, in every organisation that he worked, with every sponsor that he worked, it was the first thing that he did was try to create equality for women, you know, and that not to benefit himself in any way. Nobody knew he did it most of the time, but just, you know, and I guess, I guess possibly because as parents, particularly having a child with a disability, you know, we've always taught Isabella that, you know, there's nothing that she can't do, you know, and, you know, probably that isn't entirely true. There will be certain things she's not going to be able to do because she doesn't qualify through her disability, but, you know, and that's the belief we have. We want to feel that the world is open to her like it is to everybody else, whether that's because, you know, she's a female and she's a female with a disability. So I don't know if he worked went the extra mile and continues to do so now just because we want Isabella to have the same opportunities as Harvey has. Mm. And so it's really important to us as a family that, you know, he continues to do that work because he's got a voice and he can use it and, you know, he talks a lot, so he might as well put it to good use <laughs> and make something positive come from it. But no, he does. He does a lot of work. Still, he's still really close to all the lionesses. 
Um, And he still continues to kind of do that side of things. And it is something he is really passionate about. And together as well. Sorry, Jenny. No, no, I was just going to say for you as well, I suppose you're quite quite close knit. I bet you have just a, a, a sort of close knit sort of group of friends you know you've got family and almost sometimes yeah. family's enough isn't it and you're saying yeah. you're really close to your parents and everything else so for you you know you don't you don't really need to um have like you know some people have this extensive sort of like yeah i've got 30 people after we invite around for dinner but i reckon for you that's just an intimate nice if you're going to do a dinner party with your close friends and all your friends it's not going to be a huge one is it um, I've got a lot of my best friends are my best friends from junior school. One of them is oh, my best oh. friend from nursery. Um, so we've got a lot of lifelong friends. And then we have some really nice friends. And in each place that we've gone, we've made some really nice friends. Um, but I would say Philip is quite closed off and private. He doesn't let people in very easily at all. So it takes him quite a long time to let people in and open up. But here now, I have to say, the Americans are so welcoming. You know, it's very, very easy to make friends here in America. Yes. You know, whereas I yes. think that possibly as English people, we're a little bit colder, you know, I think it's harder. All my foreign friends that moved to England said they found it really hard to make friends. But me coming here, I found it very easy because everywhere you go, people talk to you, people are nice to you, people are helpful, you know. So we have a really nice group of friends um, here, but it is true what you say that, you know, we don't have like hundreds of people all the time, you know, that we mix with it's the same kind of close-knit group of friends who we know we trust the children are all relaxed and happy with as well um so that that would be the kind of people that we spend most of our time with here well you're certainly a wonderful friend of the hot mess mums now not that i'm really inviting myself over to miami for a nice dinner party oh god here she goes listen i knew this was coming i literally i should have written it down on a piece of paper i knew you'd do that so way of saying I'm going to pop yeah. over. Can I come yeah. over? Did you come on over whenever you want? I say that to everybody. The restriction is gone. Come on over and visit. No, it's so nice. So lovely. It's so nice here. It's been really wonderful yeah. talking to you. Really refreshing. Oh. Really. Really inspiring. Absolutely. Really. Yeah, it really has. Very positive. So yeah. Really grateful. Thank yeah. you. Oh, thank you thank so you. much. Yeah. And thank you for hanging on in there with me. You know, <laughs> what oh, we do. Goodbye. I was like, oh my God, if one of the kids wakes up this morning and says, Oh, you know, I forgot I need to take my car tomorrow or I need picking up at like 10 30, I'm going to be like, No. <laughs> it's the one time in your life I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> We're honored. We got there. Yeah, really, so. <laughs> thank there. you very much. Oh. I can't wait to get your book, actually. You're the, especially the authentic authentic spanish cooking oh. and a, you can go on a website as well there's loads it's a really lovely salmon recipe right. on there yeah. that I, I thought, what just give us a reminder julie so everyone knows where we can what the website yeah is. so my website is homecookingwithjulie.com yeah and the instagram page is at homecookingwithjulieneville yeah. but there is also a youtube channel for people that want video tutorials but you don't need to get the book just go on the website you can get all the recipes on there no i want to get the book so i'll put it out and it'll look like a cook <laughs> he doesn't. She doesn't. <laughs> Kelly Pegg, Jenny Powell, Hot Mess Mums. Thanks to Cooker for sponsoring this episode. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be telling you all about their brilliant boiling water taps and the fantastic addition they are to any family home. 
Not only do they save time, cooker taps are the most energy and water efficient appliances in the kitchen. A child safe double push and turn mechanism also helps to protect curious kids. For more information, you can visit cooker.co.uk. That's spelled Q-U-O-O-K-E-R.